0: This episode of Firstline is sponsored by TrueLearn. TrueLearn is an exam prep company best known for their smart banks that turn your weak areas into your strengths. I decided to partner with TrueLearn because it is the only company I trusted for preparation for Comlex Level 1 and Level 2. Each TrueLearn smart bank practice question has detailed answer explanations and succinct bottom lines to get the big learning takeaway. For my listeners taking the USMLE, TrueLearn also has an amazing USMLE smart bank. If you are in your 3rd year, TrueLearn also offers smart banks for shelf exams and comat shelf exams. Go to truelearn.com and use one of my special discount codes for up to $35 off your subscription. Special discount codes can be found in the episode description. Welcome to First Line. My name is Aubrey Ann Jackson, and I am a student doctor in my last year of medical school. Firstline brings listeners of all backgrounds together to discuss whole body health and wellness through an osteopathic lens. Firstline covers tangible ways to improve your health, how to succeed in medical school, and various topics in healthcare, including mental health, all while holistically addressing the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. This podcast is for informational purposes only. This is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. I encourage you to seek the advice of a physician, a DO, or an MD with any concerns or questions you have about your symptoms or medical conditions. Hello everyone, this episode is all about depressive disorders. I had an episode previously entitled Major Depressive Disorder, and that episode was a really great overview of major depressive disorder and how it's diagnosed how it's treated, some of the epidemiology, and stats about major depressive disorder. This episode is going to go a little bit more into the subtypes. I know on the MDD episode, I talked a little bit about a typical MDD, but this episode will go into a few of the other subtypes, such as seasonal affective disorder, postpartum depression, as well as major depressive disorder with psychotic features. Then I'll finish off talking about persistent depressive disorder, also known as dysthymia. And I'll also differentiate a lot of these disorders with other mental health disorders that overlap with some of their features. I do highly recommend that you go listen to my previous episode called Major Depressive Disorder before listening to this episode. So I'm going to first go into the subtypes of MDD, starting with seasonal affective disorder or winter depression or major depressive disorder with a seasonal pattern. It's a subtype of MDD, so you actually qualify for all of the criteria for MDD. But the only other caveat to mean this is that it happens yearly and it happens with the season. And it's usually fall or winter that this happens, but... People can also have summer or spring depression as well. And to qualify for this, you have to have at least two years in a row of this happening. And it has to happen more often than not that you get it every year. A lot of patients that have this will also have atypical features of MDD. For these patients in particular, they benefit significantly from light therapy. Another variant of MDD, is with psychotic features. So psychotic features can include hallucinations, delusions. For this to still be considered MDD, the psychotic features can only exist during the period of time where a person has MDD. So if they have MDD, they're treated for it, and then they go back to normal and they're still having psychosis, then they're going to have a different diagnosis than MDD, which I will definitely talk about psychotic disorders in an upcoming episode. But this is only psychosis that occurs during MDD, and it's still considered just MDD with psychotic features. And this is believed to occur because of overactivity of the brain also can increase your dopamine activity, which Dopamine has been associated with psychosis. I did talk about major depressive disorder with atypical features in my previous episode entitled Major Depressive Disorder, but I wanted to highlight some of the main points of that in this episode as well so that you can compare it with the other subtypes of major depressive disorder. But I do encourage you to go back to that episode to hear a little bit more on it. So, MDD with atypical features is the most common variant and it is marked by mood reactivity, which means that your mood can actually be affected by what is going on in your life. You'll actually feel happier when something positive is happening to you. Whereas patients with typical MDD, so they don't have these atypical features, they will stay depressed throughout the whole day no matter what happens. So that is actually a good thing that can come about with atypical MDD. Other features of MDD, you'll see increased appetite and overeating instead of decreased appetite and undereating, like we see in typical MDD. You'll also see hypersomnia or sleeping too much um, instead of insomnia or inability to sleep with typical depression. Then you have leaden paralysis, which is this sensation that your legs and arms will feel heavy. And obviously, you don't have to experience all of these symptoms to be diagnosed with atypical depression. And sometimes people can have mixed symptoms too, but this is just what is usually observed as a pattern in symptoms. Then I also talked about this. They have hypersensitivity to rejection. And so atypical MDD is going to have similar treatment modalities as typical MDD. Your first-line treatment is going to be SSRIs, CBT, or a combination of both. Major depressive disorder can also occur peripartum. So postpartum depression is someone that meets MDD symptoms during pregnancy or within the first four weeks following delivery. And this occurs in about 10% of pregnancies. So one in 10 women will have postpartum depression. It's very common. These symptoms present for at least two weeks, just like major depressive disorder. And postpartum depression is treated pretty similarly with other types of MDD. So you can use CBT therapy. Uh, You can also use medications and SSRIs are first line, just like with a lot of MDD and its subtypes. I also just wanted to say that there are other types of postpartum or peripartum mood disturbances that women can have. So postpartum depression is one of those, but uh, women can also have postpartum blues, which is even more common. It is seen in up to 85% of pregnancy, so most women get this, and this has a little bit different timing in that the symptoms will develop within a week of delivery, and they will usually resolve on their own within two weeks. And symptoms of this are a little bit different than the symptoms of major depressive disorder. So these include a uh, depressed mood, which is an overlap, but it has more outbursts of crying. Changes in sleep and energy levels can still exist. But uh, for this to be diagnosed, there's no minimum number of symptoms. It's a little bit more subjective than that. And... These patients will not have the five out of nine symptoms that is associated with major depressive disorder, and they do not need to be put on medication for this. So usually women that have this are going to be followed and screened to make sure that they don't develop MDD, but they do very well with just uh, social support and education about their symptoms and the fact that their symptoms are likely to go away but a diagnosis of the postpartum blues can increase the risk of mdd so that's why these women are followed closely and then there's something also called postpartum psychosis which has psychotic symptoms so those are going to be discussed at a in a separate episode first line is hosted by anchor first line can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Stitcher, Amazon and Audible, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Castro, Player FM, Podbean, TuneIn, Reason, and iHeartRadio. So now I want to move on to discussing a diagnosis called persistent depressive disorder, also known as dysthymia or chronic major depressive disorder. And I think this is what a lot of people think of when they hear depression. It's not just this short-term episode of depression like MDD is, but it's more of this person is living with this for way longer. And to a less noticeable extent than MDD. So, to be diagnosed with PDD, or persistent depressive disorder, symptoms have to be present for most of the day, on most days, for at least two years. So, this is a chronic diagnosis, and in adults, it has to be more than two years. In children and adolescents, they can be diagnosed if they have these symptoms for more than one year. And patients can have periods of remission from their symptoms, but to be diagnosed, the remissions have to be shorter than two months. The criteria, instead of having five out of nine symptoms for persistent depressive disorder, it's two or more symptoms. And there are six of these. So you need two out of the six. And a lot of these will sound familiar um, with MDD. So one is a feeling of hopelessness. Two is low self-esteem. Three is poor concentration. Four is low energy or fatigue. Five is decreased appetite or increased appetite. And number six is insomnia or hypersomnia. So too much sleep or too little sleep changes in sleep. So a lot of those probably sound familiar, but again, you only need two of these. So patients can actually have this and not know about it. Of course, with any mental health uh, diagnosis, it has to affect your functionality. And for people with PDD, they can live with it with mildly decreased functionality or mild distress, and they might think that they can just push through it, um, which, yeah, sure you can, but that's probably not good in the long term for your mental health, and that's probably not the best option for you, especially if you are not functioning at the optimum level that you can and that you are having, you know, these, these feelings like hopelessness and low self-esteem. And these are definitely the people that do need to come forward with their symptoms. And these are a lot of times the people that, um, either won't, notice their symptoms because they've had it for so long, or they think that because other people have it way worse than them, that they are not deserving of care. But I just want to say that there is a pretty low threshold for diagnosis for this. And yeah, there are going to be people that have it worse than you, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't get the help you need. So I talked about the similarities with MDD, but Other things that kind of separate this from major depressive disorder is that these patients will typically not have anhedonia or loss of interest in the things that usually bring them joy. They won't have that psychomotor element of um, restlessness or the opposite of uh, psychomotor slowing. And they also will usually not have suicidal ideation. So, a lot of times this is seen as a milder form of MDD. And yeah, I guess that's true if you're taking a snapshot of a two-week period of someone with MDD versus PDD just because with MDD you need to have more symptoms. But if you're looking at it over a long period of time, PDD can be just as debilitating or even more debilitating than major depressive disorder. So I don't want to downplay the potential effect that PDD can have on a person. So if you have PDD, you can actually have episodes of major depressive disorder on top of that. So you can have your two or more symptoms over years, and then at some point, down the line, you can all of a sudden have more symptoms added. And for a lot of these, that would just mean you have three symptoms added because you already have at least two. And then you would have major depressive disorder um, as an episode. Okay, so there are a few other disorders that I wanted to highlight because they're relevant to this discussion about depression. So one of them is something called minor depressive disorder. So in contrast to major depressive disorder. And this one is something between major depressive disorder and persistent depressive disorder. You only have two to four of the criteria for major depressive disorder. And like I said, you need five symptoms for major depressive disorder. So you don't quite meet that, but you're still having distress from it or impaired functionality, either in your home life or your work life. And this still needs to include either depressed mood or anhedonia or loss of interest and things that usually bring you joy as one of those symptoms. Then the symptoms are going to be present During at least a two week period, but it lasts less than two years because if it was more than two years, that would be considered persistent depressive disorder. So that's one to uh, keep in mind too. And of course, minor depressive disorder, don't let minor fool you. You can have significant distress and impaired functionality from this, and you should definitely reach out to a physician if you think that you may have this disorder. Really, if you have any of the symptoms of major depressive disorder, I would highly recommend you seek professional help. And uh, something that is often asked is, what is the difference between normal grief and having depression after a loss of a loved one? So when I say grief, I mean what is What is referred to as normal grief. So, this is a normal response emotionally and behaviorally to the loss of a loved one. And it is a normal human reaction. And it usually lasts between 6 to 12 months. And treatment is not needed. Of course, if you think it would be beneficial to talk to someone, that grief is definitely something that may be useful, um, especially if you have complicated grief. But grief usually does resolve after 12 months. But some people can actually have depression within the grieving period. And the important thing to know about grief is that It does not lead to functional impairment. So anytime you have, if you are grieving and then you have functional impairment, it is your grief process is interfering with school, work, social life, anything like that, then it is not normal grief anymore. And with grief, symptoms usually occur in waves. So every once in a while during the grief period, you will think about your lost loved one and you will become sad. You'll have a depressed mood. You might even have decreased energy or decreased concentration, but it still doesn't affect your functionality and it goes away after you think about your lost loved one for a while. So with that, MDD does not occur in waves like that. MDD would be very consistent and uh, you would have your symptoms most of the day on most days. Another interesting thing about grief is that you can actually have hallucinations. Hallucinations are limited to hallucinating about the loved one who was lost. So that is actually considered normal grief to have. That is not something that you would need to go to the physician for unless you are disturbed by it. But um, that is actually considered normal. And I don't think a lot of people know that. I did mention on my episode, Major Depressive Disorder, that you can have um, substance-induced depressive disorder, which if your symptoms are caused by substance use, then you cannot be diagnosed with MDD. You would actually get this diagnosis, which is substance-induced depressive disorder. And some of the substances that are tied with depressive symptoms include alcohol, opiates, Amphetamines, cocaine, hallucinogens, and inhalants. And the last disorder I wanted to cover in this episode is called adjustment disorder. And this this disorder is is characterized by distress and impaired functioning, and um, can have many symptoms of major depressive disorder. However, it is tied to a certain stressor in someone's life and the symptoms do not last for more than six months following that stressor ending. So a common one that I think about with this is moving to college as a young person that just graduated high school and moved to college, especially someone going to college in a faraway place and they don't know anyone there, they have to make all new friends, they have to live by themselves for the first time ever, and they have the pressure of performing well in their classes. That could be a stressor. Another common one to think about is when um, parents get divorced. So a a preteen or a teenager whose parents are divorced, um, they could go through a up to a six-month period of showing a lot of signs of major depressive disorder, but it is tied to the stressor, and eventually they do get better on their own. Sometimes, too, major depressive disorder can also have a stressor, but it's just important to know the criteria for major depressive disorder in that you do need five out of the nine symptoms. Another thing to keep in mind is that depression in children and adolescents can show up a little bit differently than in adults. So I wanted to highlight some of the main patterns about that. So yes, you'll still have your classical symptoms of major depressive disorder, the five out of nine. But something to keep in mind is that depressed mood, because um, especially young children might have trouble understanding what depressed means. And they also might struggle with that that inner feeling of depression. So they a lot of times won't be able to articulate that that's how they feel. And a lot of times they can, instead of appear sad, they could appear irritable. And they might even complain about being irritable or being angry or being frustrated. So Those symptoms, if present, can actually count towards that depressed mood as the criteria for major depressive disorder. And often the symptoms in children and adolescents are less noticeable than in adults, and especially because children and adolescents often do have just fluctuating concentration and fluctuating energy levels and fluctuating sleep and appetite patterns. So it's hard to pick up the nuances there, especially in young children when they can't really tell you how they're feeling. So that's why you have to have a high suspicion in this population. And a lot of times major depressive disorder in young patients can resemble ADHD, or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, because of the overlap with trouble concentrating and the psychomotor agitation in restlessness, and then also aggression can come up in in both of those as well. To contrast, in children, usually psychotherapy like CBT is usually preferred over uh, medications for young children. Other options, too, include play therapy and family therapy to help with this, too. And then in adolescence, these patients can, just like adult patients, either get uh, psychotherapy or medications. And fluoxetine is usually the SSRI that is used for this. Let me know that you like First Line. If you are listening on Spotify, tap the star to rate the show. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, scroll down and tap to rate or write a review. Thank you so much for your support. You can follow Firstline on Instagram at Firstline Podcast or on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Firstline Podcast. Stay tuned for a new episode every Monday.